Hello, hello, hello. I am your Billy Nguyen, hostess with the mostest, Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth! In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood. To lick it right, lick it good, show you how to Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. goosebumps. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey there and welcome back, folks. Once again, I am your hostess with the mostest, Munoz. And how y'all doing? It is spring, but it's not spring because a mother nature can't decide. Maybe, you know, mother nature is, is a woman of a certain age. We stand mother nature. We want to take care of her. But she is one indecisive lady, especially here in New York, <laughs> honey. Oh, Lord, what is going on, y'all? What is going on? We are trucking along very quickly through this year. And um, what can I update you on? The diet is going. I don't know if it's going well because I refuse to get on a scale, right? And we love our bodies no matter what. I'm just trying to prep for this end of end of April wedding in Mexico. I got to fit into all these things. So that's the journey that I'm on. Oh, another recent journey that I'm on at the ripe age of 42. Um, and I'm curious to get my guests' uh, opinion on this when, uh, after I introduce them. But I'm realizing or I'm having this like new evolution of feeling like I don't fit in anymore or... Maybe that's not the right way to put it, like finding new places to fit in because the old places I used to fit in don't work. I don't know. It's a very interesting journey that like has just been put upon me by the universe. And it's it's a little weird feeling because it kind of harkens back to like, you know, being young and not out of the closet, not knowing anything and, and being like, where do I fit in? And it's this ever evolving coming out process that we are forever talking, talking about here on the podcast. And I don't know whether it's these new like crazy anti-LGBTQ, anti-trans bills coming out or whether it was like recent experiences when I like took a weekend in Atlanta or just like the the general gay populace here in Manhattan as is. I don't know what it is, but it's definitely an interesting experience this late in life, right? That I did not expect. But here we are and we are trucking along and I am taking it in stride and working my magic as um, 
as I like to say. But I want to get to the getting on and introduce today's guest because I am so excited to have them here. So without further ado, please help me welcome the one, the only, Chala June. Say hi. Hello, hello. How are you? Good. Hi, babe. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat and kiki. Yes, I am so excited to have you here. And thank you to Eric C., the gift that keeps on giving for connecting oh, us. A true light in my life, actually. I love, love them. Got to get to the new Ursula once it's like up and running. Yes, I'm excited you know. because it's closer to me now in Brooklyn because now it's in bed It was in Crown Heights, but now it's in the do or die and I'm thrilled. Yes, <laughs> not the do or die. <laughs> the do or die, that's die, baby. I love, I love, I love. So really quickly on the subject of like fitting in, I recently just have been like in situations and like uh, situation after situation where I'm like, I don't, I don't fit in here. I feel like an outsider here. Thoughts, thoughts? Yeah, I think I kind of generally think that nobody's okay right now. <laughs> and like everyone is really in this headspace of am I fitting in in the ways that I need to because the past few years have brought up so many insecurities. I know at least for me personally and just we've all been thinking really deeply about who we are, how we fit, what we actually do and don't enjoy. And yeah. so it's been And what we want. And what we want and what we want and what we need. But then, and, but then you go to these spaces that are supposed to provide that thing that you want and then they don't or they're not providing so then you don't fit in again. Because I feel like even though these spaces are purporting to provide like these certain things that you want, I think that there hasn't been enough of an evolution in the spaces themselves. I think a lot of people are trying to go back to normal and there's no going back. We need to move forward, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, a, li a little pontification for... for Something for the to ponder. Something to, <laughs> to ponder and, and uh, pence upon, if, that, <laughs> if I can use pensive as a verb like that. <laughs> you know what? We're going to go for it. Uh, We're listen, making new things every day. We're no, queering no one, language. No one, no one claimed that I was Miriam Webster. Only... <laughs> That's only my name when I put a certain wig on. Okay. That okay. is an excellent drag name. Miriam Webster. Wow. I'm, there has to be a Miriam Webster out there. <laughs> Listen, we are off the rails already. Listen, but, but before we get anywhere else, I got to do what I got to do. And in the grand tradition of In Yo Mouth, I need to wish you happy National World Water Day. Water? <laughs> wow. It's... What does that mean? I I, I mean we're I, just celebrating like we have water to drink. Well, not all not all not of everybody. us. Not yes. all of us. <laughs> not all of us. Not and everybody. is that the, uh, in your mouth, listeners? Chala's drinking just water. Just water. Yeah, I think it's that's the, the Jaden Smith water. Yeah, I I was like that's the Smiths water. Mm -hmm. Get your yes. water out my mouth. Right. <laughs> Keep my water out, out of your, your mouth. damn mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, don't because we need it. Um, we interesting, need it. interesting facts, right? My my mind first went to Flint, Michigan. 
here, yes. right? Uh, so, so what a happy thought on on this day. But allegedly, as of January 2022, Flint officially marked its sixth year in a row of being in compliance with water standards. Hmm. Mm. Curious about what that means, because being in compliance I... and actually having clean water maybe aren't the same thing. Two very different things because it it sounds to me like the water standards are very lax and very loose, like a certain diva after a Saturday night, like Hello. loose. Hello. Okay, because yeah. I actually have family in Flint. My mom grew up in Pontiac, Michigan. A lot of her aunts and cousins are in Flint, and they are still actively boiling water to use for cooking, for drinking, drinking out of bottled water. So I don't believe it. Don't believe it. Not here for it, right? And after after one crisis, I'm never drinking that water again. No. No. Why would I trust them? No. <laughs> no. 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 And then I, I fell down a further hole of does America have a water crisis? Yes. Because Appar- it's not just Flint. No. Apparently, figures suggest that 2.2 million people in the United States are without running water and basic indoor plumbing, 2.2 million. More than 44 million people in America have inadequate water systems. Community-level solutions exist to address poor access to potable water, but more funding and technology is needed for scale and sustainability. This is from the World Economic Forum. Just as... um, some perspective here. Fine, 2.2 million people in the United States are without running water and basic indoor plumbing and more than 44 million people, right? Th- those were the figures. And then I was like, how many people are in America? 331.9 million people. So math, math I was going to try to do mental math, but I, I can't. No, um, no. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, but that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, albeit a small percentage of America. But still, that's a lot of people without water. Yeah, and I feel like as, you know, the climate patterns keep shifting, that's all that number's only going to keep climbing because yeah. there aren't really being solutions posited. They're like, well, just, you know, move somewhere with clean water. Uh, that's not possible for everyone. No, no. exactly. Chala, you know what's really interesting is that over the past five years, 99.9% of these national food days are don't make sense, are ridiculous, <laughs> are, right? All of a sudden... I can't remember one other that's been this serious. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of like National Water Day. Like that sounds like Earth Day to me. Like that's something yeah. that should be bigger than, you know, like National Donut Day. Yeah, right? <laughs> National French Fry Day. Although we stand exactly. a French fry. But like, we really do. Yeah. What's we your really favorite do. fry shape? I'm interviewing you now. What's your favorite fry shape? Oh, waffle. Fight yes, me. concur. No, I concur. <laughs> I fully agree. You're correct. You are 100% and correct. Take waffle it, fries take, are the best. I'll take it one uh, a level further. Seasoned waffle. Yes. I grew up in Maryland, so Old Bay on my fries. 110%. Old Bay, a Lowry's, even a ranch yes. powder. Even a, ra- a Hidden Valley ranch powder will go a yes, long way. not a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Not a, hashtag not <laughs> ad. <laughs> Well, you know what? No matter what you celebrate out there, today's a very important day to give thanks if you have clean water and if you don't have clean or or if you're more concerned or want to know more about like this water issue in America that I myself didn't even know that we had or was as big as it is, you know, do a little research, fall down a hole and maybe if you have a couple extra quarters in your pocket, donate. 
You know? Absolutely. Donate. It's but always important re- to give back. Research, research where that money is going. And yes. that's, that's what I got to say. And moving right along into this day in gay history, another, another serious hard hitter. Did you know that 1972, the Equal Rights Amendment banning discrimination on the basis of sex passes in the U.S. Senate? Opponents of the amendment claim it will destroy the nuclear family, give broad civil rights to homosexuals, and even mandate unisex restrooms in public. What does this sound like? Though by the end of 1972, 22 of the required 38 states had ratified it, the ERA failed to receive the requisite number of ratifications before the final deadline mandated by Congress of June 30th. 1982 expired and so it was never adopted this was 1972 but it sounds like what it sounds like 2023 baby like i imagine because 1972 before i was born before you were born maybe yes Uh, how dare you (laughs) i'm sorry you said 42 i can't do math we've established this 1972 well if i was born in 1972 honey i look Sickening. Absolutely sickening. My apologies. (laughs) 1972 was a while ago. And imagine what our lives would have looked like if that had passed when it was actually up to pass. Right? Ridiculous. I mean, it's it's ridiculous that we're uh, 1972 to 80 to 92, 2002, 22. That's 41 years ago. 41 years ago. Yes, I had to do math on my fingers. <laughs> You're better than me. Uh, yes. And um, 41 years ago, and we're still, we are still talking about those. The same things. The same thing. God forbid we have unisex bathrooms. God forbid. Like, what's, like, what? Like, what? I was just in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and I was in this restaurant, and um, this restaurant had single bathrooms, right? They were single dingles, right? One for one for male presenting people and one for female presenting people, right? And I'm standing there and I'm I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And like I already broke the seal, so like I gotta go. This what now there's a line to the men's room, none for the women uh, the women's room, and a woman comes out, and I'm like, I, I look at the guy behind me. This is Jackson Hole now, right? This mm-hmm. is the Midwest, honey. Um I look at this guy behind me. I was like, "They're singles. Do we, do we care? Because they're singles. They're single bathrooms." And he was like, "No, I don't care. It's a single, right? Yeah, right. This and that." <laughs> so I was like, "Good, right? Just taking the temperature of where I am." Mm-hmm. I go in. I go in. I'm in and out of that bathroom. That man is still waiting, right? I walk away and I walk. And I keep my eye behind me to be like, "Will he go in? Will he go in?" You, you know, he didn't go in. Of course not. Of course he didn't go in because God forbid he touch a girl toilet. A toilet is a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> but what? it's a girl toilet with eyelashes and boobs. Or or God forbid he he gets caught in a in a single a single bathroom labeled women? Yeah, because then oh what what were, what were you doing in this single bathroom? <laughs> what? I don't understand in general why single bathrooms need to be gendered. Like, it's a toilet. Yeah. it's And there's a lock on the door. No one else is coming in. No. 
Anywho, <laughs> anywho, oh, well, uh, we I get think, it. They I, other I, people may not get it, but yeah, we get uh, it. I mean, uh, we're, we're already so off the rails here. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I need to get to the getting on, and that is celebrating you. In your mouth, listeners, if you didn't know, but you probably already do, Chala June is a genderqueer food writer, chef, and cannabis advocate based in Brooklyn, New York. Chala's work often draws on his years of food service experience, having worked as a line cook, prep baker, cheesemonger, mm, and more. As an associate editor at Bon Appetit, Chala was the lead editor for A Food is Queer, the magazine's first ever digital edition dedicated to celebrating LGBTQIA contributions to culinary culture. Chala has led virtual cooking classes for organizations like Queer Food Foundation and Momatines, written articles and recipes for publications like Cherry Bomb and Culture Cheese magazines, and moderated panels on the intersection of food and cannabis for the Luxury Meats Cannabis Conference. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so You're, excited to be here. I, I, listen, I am so, so excited to have you here because there is an intersection of our work. My love, yes. there is an intersection of our work here, and I have been on this journey for quite some time. And actually, like last week or the other day, I posted you know, I was looking for something to post on the Instagrams because I go through these phases of being stressed out of not posting enough and what to post, or like, mm-hmm. uh, or, or like posting, posting, I'm stressed out, or I'm not posting enough, stressed out. And I was like, okay, I, I'm sure I have something. So I went to the top of my videos and I found this really old video from like 2010 or something of me at some like gay event, like the modern man or, or something, <laughs> but it was gay. It was very gay. And there it was, like doing what I do. And I was like, Lord, I have been here just like, talking about like queer people in food and like and and just encompassing this like gay food lifestyle and now here you are right on the uh, somewhat similarly on the same journey so i want to start at a michael twitty place cuz i will always give him credit for bringing yes. this to to this podcast and my platform and that's the cross section of of being queer and food is there and just the subject of queer food in general and what that means to you take it away oh what queer food means to me personally the first word that comes to mind at that intersection is indulgence and being unafraid to indulge that's what i love about being in food and that's what i love about being queer and that's what i love about being a taurus um, unafraid to indulge and really explore just the different pleasures and sensory experiences that you can have through food. And as queer people, we love to be loud. We love to be flamboyant. We love to really just express ourselves in unexpected and unprecedented ways. And when you see that in food, those are always the food trends and the food moments that make us the most excited. You know, the things that really catch our eye that are unexpected, that go beyond, you know, the normative food standards. And I think queering, when we look at queer as a verb and how people are queering food, there is all of this innovation that keeps coming up that is what continues to make food so exciting. It it, it really is. And, you know, 
I haven't gotten any flack yet, right? But um, I, I, I await the day that someone's like, oh, why is it gotta be gay food, you know? <laughs> and it's not necessarily about it being gay food, but more about us communing, A, over it, right? Because sometimes our blood families need to turn into chosen families, yeah. need to turn into safe spaces, need to turn into places that nourish us, you know, mind and yes. body. And a lot of that happens around the the table, mm-hmm. right? Secondly, we are the tastemakers in a lot of yes. these situations, right? Absolutely. Deciding, hello, you're at Bon Appetit, one of the most forefront food magazines, right, in this country, right? Yeah. And maybe across certain parts of the world. Um, I don't know what those demographics are, but, you know, and hello, people who are super foodies, reading it, right, keeping up with the food trends, right? And who's who's making the, who is making those decisions? You are, you know? And, and um, is Andy Barangani still at Bon Appetit, right? Him too. He's not because now he's a New York Times bestselling cookbook author, um, but we miss him so much. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Uh, just to drive the point home. Yes. You know what I mean? And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's complicated and it's a question that I love. And I love that also the great Michael Twitty brought to me because ever since I started asking people about it, like the responses are so varied and vast. Mm-hmm. And I think that that just speaks to how each person views their own queerness and how each person moves through their own relationship to food. And, you know, you said you haven't had the person being like asking why is food gay? But when we had published our food is queer pride package last year and we were publishing it on Instagram, there were a lot of those comments coming in, like, cause we called it food is queer. We wanted it to be bold. We wanted it to be in your face and we wanted it to be an unequivocal statement. Like, there's no question. Food's queer. Food's queer as hell. But people are like, this is so stupid. Everybody eats food. Well, I'm like, oh, are you afraid you're eating food's going to make you gay? Yeah. But yeah. Or, or even, wait, 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 wait. But even that, fine. Yes, absolutely. Um, but even going back to the beginning of the pod and not fitting in, there are yes. times, there are times, right? All love to the entire queer food community, but there are times and there are people I know out there that are in this community that don't know what to do with me because I am on a very specific platform and a very specific journey of telling our stories in a very specific way. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Too gay. Too gay. Too gay for me being gay. I don't fault you. Live your life. All right. And I won't judge you. But again, it's, it's still like... Even the, even from our own community, it's like a little hands-off yes. sometimes, I feel. And I think that that also speaks to the normative standards of the food industry as a whole. And that's part of the reason why publishing this Food is Queer package was so important because the food industry is, we know it's white male-centric, white cis male-centric, white heterosexual male-centric. And there are so many queer chefs and so many black and brown queer chefs who have to fight for that visibility, for that space for themselves. But there are also the people who are so 
worried about how it's going to affect their career. They're still thinking from that mentality of, yes, I'm a queer person in this space, but I still have to assimilate to the larger culture of, you know, being in the food space. Yeah, And, and that is still a cis-het dominated culture. And then there are those that are so dedicated to the craft that have been on this podcast that are like, I'm just going to grin and bear all of this yes. because I love this. Mm-hmm. I do this for my art and for the love of being a line cook. And there's a lot of grinning and bearing, especially as a line cook. I've worked as a line cook. It was the hardest job I've ever had in my life. Um, and I was the only queer person in that kitchen, and I was the only black person in that kitchen. There was a lot of grinning and a lot of bearing. This is when I lived in Boston a few years ago, mm-hmm. the first line cook job that I had. And... That was at a point in my life where I was like, okay, just bin it, grare it. Like, you want to bin it, grare it. <laughs> Grin it, bear it. We you want to just, we want to just um, get through this. I'm like, I'm just here to learn. I'm really passionate about cooking. I want to do whatever it is I can to advance my career in this space. But then I had to ask myself, is the career that I'm envisioning worth the cost of shrinking myself, making myself smaller, putting myself in spaces where I don't feel like I can bring my full self. And for me, the answer was no, but for other people, it might be worth it because they're so mm-hmm. passionate and because that is the one path that they see them on, themselves on. Fortunately for or, me, or, I saw other paths. Or maybe sometimes it's not even a choice. Mm, yeah, Cause that I, too. Because we need the job. And we yes. love the job, but we need the job. But we need the job. Absolutely. Right? And we don't see another way out. Where, uh, you know what? Yes. All of it. So, um, pivoting. Where does the love of food come from? For me? Yeah. No, um, for, for, for your for aunt. For the universe. Uh, for, for, <laughs> for, your aunt, for your aunt Beatrice. <laughs> yes. No, um, my love of food started at a very young age, watching Food Network at like four years old and watching Iron Chef when it was still the Japanese version and it had the terrible dub. And it was so entertaining because to me, it was like watching a martial arts movie, but about food. Like yeah. <laughs> the terrible dubs, the knives, the fire, the running. I like, forgot about so the terrible exciting. dub. I remember. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Back in like ninety nine, I know? remember. Yeah, I totally remember. And so that was my first foray into just being like, "Wow, food is more than just what my mom puts on the table every night." Like, food is this whole world of entertainment and excitement. Like that was my sport. And so I started watching Food Network religiously. You know, Emerald Lagasse Live, Unwrapped with Mark Summers, like all of these shows. Um, was it Good Eats with Alton Brown? Like yes. all of these shows. Obsessed just with Emerald. Obsessed. Obsessed. Well, one of the I used first to go to my things, mom and yeah. One of the first like, things that I made that wasn't like dessert or box cake, I'll never forget it, was Emerald butternut squash gnocchi with brown butter sage from scratch. Mm-hmm. Never, never cooked before. Like that. Wow. No, Emerald, I just, his approachability and like his essence, he was, for it was me, fun. the first, it was fun. He made it fun. And he was the first like TV chef who was really like, you can make incredible things and enjoy yourself. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Cause I loved Iron Chef, but it was so serious, 
Mm -hmm. know, it was cutthroat. But Emerald was like, you can have fun. You can play around. And like sometimes because it was live, like he'd make mistakes or he'd flub and be like, oops, let's do something with this. And he had that personality that just made you want to engage. And sometimes like my mom would be cooking and be like, Emerald does it differently. And (laughs) I'd get like shoot out of the kitchen. She'd be like, um... No. She's like, Emerald's not here right now. (laughs) But from that point and obsessively watching Food Network, just food was really something, it was a language that really spoke to me so deeply and something that allowed me to be creative and really experiment without getting in trouble. Because I was also one of those kids that would like make potions and like pour soaps into each other and like mix it with random things and just make an absolute mess. So in the kitchen, it was a constructive mess that yeah. led to something. <laughs> so so then from the love of food to working in food, how, where where did that connect happen? Yeah, so I wanted to be a chef when I was a kid, but um, I also come from an immigrant background. My dad's from Congo. And so saying, hey, I want to go to culinary school wasn't necessarily like something that uh, really made him excited. Um, so I ended up going to school to get a degree in publishing instead, um, something a little more practical, but still creative. Mm-hmm. Um, but while I was there and while I was studying magazine publishing, um, my love of food was still so prevalent. I was working on a food truck at the time, you know, trying to have a little money to spend. And I had to have that moment where I was like, yes, writing and publishing is something that I'm really skilled at, but food has always been my greatest passion. And so how can I bring that passion into the work that I want to do moving forward? And I was like, well, everyone needs food writers, you know, everyone needs to read about the food that they're eating. And it was also my senior year, I took a class called Food and Globalization. And we read uh, Michael Pollan's Omnivore's Dilemma. And Mm -hmm. that book just really opened my mind to the ways that food touches every major topic, every major justice issue, every major identity and cultural issue that we see in the world. And so I was like, Not only is food something I'm passionate about, but pursuing this thread of food writing is something I can do to really keep myself informed about the world, but also make a change in the world. And so that's kind of how I got here. Yeah, I love that. That may have to be the... The title of this episode, right? <laughs> that that last quote. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, it's so like the trajectories are so are just so interesting of how like people just end up, you know, where mm-hmm. where they are, right? Because if you would have told me over 10 years ago now, because oof. Right. Uh, the, the lady's older. Right. Um, you know, when I was doing musical theater full time and this and that, that I would stop singing, dancing and all of that kind of. Um, but like and pivot into this world of food. And yes, a lot of this podcast. Right. Is n- not today, especially with all these like serious food topics. But um, but like a lot of this podcast is really silly and really fun. And I like to be an ass a lot of the time. And it's really like <laughs> fluffy. Right. But yeah. then, but then like here we are, like in the nitty gritty. Or even this morning, one of my best friends loves to poke the bear about food waste with me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and he was like, and just poking the bear. And, and I'm like, no, this is a topic I can actually 
really talk about here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's because of all of this extensive, like, these extensive discussions and this extensive work and and whatnot. And, and then adding the the layer of community on top of it really, really just brings this special, not only togetherness, but this special perspective because we, because we as queer people, LGBTQIA people have had to not only hide in certain situations, but also navigate the world in a very specific way right have a really interesting perspective on on really like hot topics right for lack of a better way to put yes. it you know um so it kind of go ahead yeah something i was going to say to the thread of that like as i was talking earlier you were asking the intersection of food and queerness and i was saying indulgence but another kind of word for that too is nourishment this nourishment is at the foundation of for me, my queer experience, being outwardly queer and moving through the world as a queer person, it is about nourishing my soul and nourishing my inert sense of self. And food is a great way that we do that too, not only nourishing ourselves, but nourishing others. And when you're collected as a group of queer people and you're eating and you're sharing a meal, not only are you saying, I'm nourishing me, but I'm nourishing you too. I see you. I'm holding space for you. I am telling you that it is okay for you to come here and be fed and be nourished and be held. And that is something that is so important because so many of us just do not get that in our home lives, in our workplaces, in our day-to-day lives. So to be able to hold those things in tandem and create that kind of space, it is life-saving, truly. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of the queer experience, before we cut out to the break, I always ask about coming out because we never know who's Mm -hmm. listening and our stories are important, so we never know who we can affect. Would you mind speaking to your coming out story? Yes. um, I had to come out a few times. (laughs) Or coming out. I said it at the beginning of the pod. Ever evolving. Ever evolving. Ever evolving. Um, I first came out to some friends, like my senior year of high school. I was like, you guys, I think I'm bi. And everyone was like, okay, cool. We love you. Like, that's cool. Um, but it was an arduous process for me to even get to being able to speak it out loud because I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. And so my queerness was something that I had to really bury. I was terrified of it. I was being filled with all of these messages that, you know, queerness is a disease. It is something that, you know, is sent from Satan to tempt us. And so I was like, oh, the devil is in me. And that is why I feel this way. And I was fortunate enough as I started getting older and just befriending more queer people because I was the A1 ally in high school. I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm not out, but I ride for my gay girlies. (laughs) And so I had so many queer friends who I was like, I ride for you, but this isn't, it's not me. Like that's, you know, I had to create that separation and I got to a point, and I think it was when I realized that I was finally going to be able to go off to college and leave my hometown, that I was like, you know what? Let's just be a little fruity. Let's just kind of put it out there. And my friends were so accepting. Um, but it took me a few years still to come out to my family. Um I have three older siblings and they are all the best people in the world. And they were really like, okay, cool. 
like you're our sibling, we love you. Um, but it was definitely more of a challenge with my mom. Um, she is a very strong, passionate Jehovah's Witness woman and still is. And um, our our relationship has kind of become contentious over the years because of her inability to really see and accept me for who I am. Um, and my dad had passed when I was about 12 years old. And when I came out to her when I was 19, she looked at me and she asked me if I would have told her this, if my dad was still alive. And that was a question I really wasn't expecting or wasn't ready for. And it kind of felt like a slap in the face or an insinuation that he wouldn't have been accepting of it as a traditional Congolese man. And that's something that I really held on to for a long time. But through therapy and through just really coming closer and standing more into my power and my fullness, I realized I won't know and I'll never know how my dad would have reacted, but I want to believe that I'm the kind of person who would have at least just sat down and had those conversations and tried to come to a place of understanding. And it's the same thing I've tried to do with my mom over the years, but it's just not a place that she's willing to be. So we don't really have a close personal relationship right now, but all of my older siblings are really supportive. Um, when I came out as non-binary, my brother was like, you could have just showed up one day with a beard and a mustache and I wouldn't have said anything, but thank you for telling me. <laughs> and I was like, thank you for just being so open and so accepting. And especially, you know, coming from my brother, you know, this really mm -hmm. like, he's this like six foot three, you know, dreadlock, dark skinned man, like looks very macho, but is the sweetest person in the world. And to have also that affirmation of, you know, my masculinity from him is really something that was so sweet and so important to me. So yeah, wow. that's my story. What's the key? What's the key to self-acceptance leading to acceptance from everyone around you, whether, whether they give it to you or not? The key to self-acceptance... For you. For me, for for you. me um, is just radical honesty. Radical honesty. It took just being honest and being like, hey, even if, because when I was coming out at, you know, 17, 18, 19, I was still kind of terrified of being queer. Mm -hmm. I was still, you know, in this place where I was like, I don't know if this makes me a bad person in the eyes of the world around me. But I was like, but it's who I am and I can't change that. And I know that I can't change that. So even if it makes me, you know, some terrible person, or even if it makes me look a certain way in other people's eyes, like that's just going to have to be what it is because that's my truth. And I can't keep running away from that. And I can't keep hiding from that because I will tear myself apart. And so that was the base of that acceptance. And then I took that to the people around me and I was like, here's who I am. Take it or leave it, baby. And some people took it and some people left it. And, you know, you got to leave it there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, thank you for sharing. Thank you for being so vulnerable. Thank you. Thank you for letting me hold that, hold that for you and help tell your story. Because like I always say, we never know who's listening. And so, and who needs to hear, hear it. You know what I mean? I think, absolutely. It's, I think it's absolutely beautiful and absolutely important. I think now is a great time to take a little bit of a break. We'll go get a cockatoo 
And we'll be right back with my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, Chala, I hope you're ready for my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast. A little something we like to call Food News Update. Food News. news. Honey, you ain't ready. Girl, spill the tea. News Update. Sunny D Vodka Seltzer is here. Oh, no. Wait, are you too young to remember Sunny D? Was Sunny no, D part I rem- of your life? I remember Sunny D. I absolutely remember Sunny D. Okay, because I love Sunny D, but Sunny D vodka sounds interesting. Really? Because Tang, Sunny D, and orange juice from the can concentrate. Yes, is the frozen what, can is what I grew up with. So adding vodka to it kind of sounds delicious, only because all three of those things were. Ultra acidic. Maybe it's because I have a personal vendetta against vodka. It reminds me of my teen years and regret. Oh, well, vodka and I fight, <laughs> so I don't drink a lot of it. I'm a tequila girl. Yes, same. You know? Tequila mezcal, anything agave. Yes, right? It's just better for you. Yeah, <laughs> that's, exactly. what I, that's what I'm telling my myself. <laughs> Well, apparently Sunny D Vodka Seltzers came out on March 11th, so you can get yours now. And um, according to a statement provided to Food & Wine, thank you to Food & Wine, still not a sponsor after all these years, but they keep me up to date on my food news. Sunny D Vodka (laughs) Seltzer will be available nationwide Saturday, March 11th at select Walmart stores. Well, that tracks. Um, It comes Mm -hmm. in what the company calls a convenient four-pack and retails for about $9.99. The 12-ounce cans each come with a 4.5 ABV and 95 calories in a single 12-ounce can. Okay, Hmm. that's not bad. I think my issue beyond the vodka is also, why is it a seltzer? I mean, because I would would want vodka, if I was drinking vodka, vodka, mostly seltzer water, and a splash of the acidic. And a splash of Sunny D. (laughs) And a splash of the nostalgia. Honestly, it could be delicious. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Eileen Bergenfield, the chief marketing officer of Harvest Hill Beverage Company, uh, parent company to Sunny D, I guess, uh, said consumers are passionate about this iconic brand rooted in nostalgia, but with a taste that resonates today. What the hell does that mean? Many, that means. <laughs> many have told us that they enjoy Sunny D as a mixer and asked us for this product. So we looked at the hard seltzer category and thought, good, but we can do better. And Sunny D Vodka Seltzer was born. Wait, do you know people who mix with Sunny D? Because I don't. I, don't <laughs> I, I do not. I haven't seen one of those Sunny D bottles in at least Ages. 20 years. You yeah. know, it looks like a barrel with that ridge, the weird. With the, and the little top, the little neck. 
in the yeah. orange cap. Yeah. <laughs> like what? But I want to go back to rooted in nostalgia, but with a taste that resonates today. <laughs> what what part of that taste resonates with resonates what today? To, uh, uh, you know, the need for joy. Maybe that's what resonates. Listen, I could I could understand if they were on the nostalgia soapbox being like, people remember this. I remember immediately. Yes. You say Sunny D, I can recall that taste I see in a it. minute. Yes, I taste it. I see it. I taste it, this and that. But how does it resonate today, right? So it's really like acidic, sour, sour, like that, right? And mm-hmm. very sweet on top of it, like tart, yes. sweet, right? Which... Live for that nostalgic taste, but what what else? What else are we eating slash drinking today that that is reso- resonating? But that that is resonating with Sunny D. I really couldn't tell you. Because... Come on, Bon Appetit! I need. I need it. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, I I couldn't tell you what about Sunny D resonates today besides that craving for nostalgia. It's giving reboot. It's giving reboot culture. Yeah, and 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 we live for a reboot, right? Mm-hmm. Well, right? we live for the, a good reboot. A, a good reboot. Like, I, I wasn't here for Friends for uh, from the jump, and I wasn't here for the reboot. <laughs> yeah, no. We don't need it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we're here for this. I mean, I'd have one. Send me some. Maybe I'll change my I mind. would definitely try it. You know? But like we'll if see if I endorse it. If we're at the Christopher Street Pier this summer, and someone has, like, a cold four-pack, like... Sure. Like, I would be intrigued. I really would. Yeah. I like, think that Sunny D's uh, vodka seltzer needs to align itself with the queer community because then it'll take off like gangbusters, even yeah. if it's bad. Because queer people love to coalesce around things that are bad, but we love. Yeah. Can we, can we get like a, just like a truck at, at Reese Beach and then all the, exactly. all the kids like, you know, dousing themselves in it uh, on a TikTok video? Hello. <laughs> Honestly, putting that, though, into, like, a firecracker format would probably be really great. I mean, that. Or a Sunny D seltzer vodka pop? Freezing it? Okay. I might be onto something. You know what? I might be Uh, onto something. All right. Well, I'm going to take that and start making reels (laughs) now, right? Call call me Elliot Norris. Man sues Buffalo Wild Wings, claiming its boneless wings are actually chicken nuggets. I mean, aren't all boneless wings chicken nuggets? We are not. Is that under... worth litigation? Uh, no, this is a, this is a, a cash grab, allegedly. <laughs> right? I don't want to get sued <laughs> from this man. This man is it doing the most because be. this man needs some money, allegedly. 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 I just, I mean, if the first thing that came to my mind was like, duh, like all boneless wings are essentially chicken nuggets. Chicken tenders are just long chicken nuggets. Like everything is. Yeah, chicken fingers aren't actually fingers. They're not fingers. Like, I, what is the basis of the claim? I need to know more. Yeah, the plaintiff claims that the chicken chain is engaging in false and deceptive marketing and advertising by listing it on the menu that way. It is a class action lawsuit. Multiple people are involved in this. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
The lawsuit was so, filed March 10th in the Northern District of Illinois, U, U.S. District uh, Court by plaintiff Eamon Halim, who currently resides in Chicago on behalf of himself and potentially many others across the country affected. All right, we are affected. That's a stretch, y'all. Yes. What? <laughs> I, because so... Are they claiming that there are, like, emotional damages? Like, I wanted boneless wigs and I got nuggets and it ruined my life. It ruined my child's birthday. It ruined my Super Bowl party. Like, what is the, what's the basis? Huh. The name and the description of the products, i.e. as boneless wings, leads reasonable consumers, reasonable consumers, to believe that Uh, to believe the products are actually chicken wings. In other words, that the products are chicken wings that have simply been deboned and as such are comprised of entirely chicken wing meat. Oh, I see. So I think I'm understanding now. So they want to make sure it's actually a wing and not just different parts of the chicken kind of blended up and throat. Or maybe it's like a thigh. You yeah, know, I mean, thighs are delicious. It's juicy. I'm like, the dark meat's better. I'd actually I rather don't... have that. <laughs> like, like, what? I, 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 I have my opinions about this, right? I do, and I, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not here for it, right? Like, but I am here for, I am here for a boneless buffalo wing. I mean, I guess, like, ask for what you really want. And I guess that's what these people are doing. It's like, I want the wing and I won't settle for thigh meat. I won't oh, settle so, for breast meat. I'm so going you're to here take for this. You're, you're what here I for want. This. I'm, I'm being swayed. I'm being swayed. Because also, I, I want to see where this goes. Because then what precedent does this set, you know, for suing different food brands? Oh, it's happened multiple times. Food News Update is is chaotic with these sorts of things. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm like, who else is passing off, you know, non-wing meat as I mean, there isn't even that much meat on the wing. On the wing. Right? So Hmm. does that mean, like, the wing, can I sue? Because if I don't get a whole bunch of flats, then, in a basket? And my question is also, like, how... How do they know the difference? Because I'm just eating chicken. You know, I can't tell if it's thigh meat or wing meat. Or I'm like, it's chicken, babes, and it's got buffalo sauce on it. Delicious. Delicious. <laughs> oh, my God. If, if any of y'all are, are out there are in New York City and are on 43rd and 9th, there is an Irish sports bar called Dalton's that have I, what I think are some of the best boneless chicken wings in this city. And they're real wings. And they're real wings. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> right there. I said Because <laughs> they're delicious. And last but not least, certainly not least, air pollution might be turning fruit flies gay. I saw this on Instagram yesterday, and my first thought was that Lucille Bluth gift that's like, good for her. <laughs> good for her. First and foremost... Our fruit flies, I read this article, and fruit flies, they don't necessarily say that there's any benefit to having fruit flies around, right? So, yeah. like, you know how some insects are, like, like spiders are good, right? Because they, yes. like, 
you know, killed uh, the, its natural selection, you know, killed the mosquitoes and the, and the mm. bad bugs and, and whatnot. But like, let them be gay. Let them be gay. I mean, they're fruit flies. What, like, what else can we really expect? <laughs> Na- we already gave them the name. They're fruit <laughs> flies. Okay. What did we expect? <laughs> We're, we've been calling them fruits this whole time. Let them be gay. Right? Now we, now there's a problem? Of course. Now there's a problem. There's going to be there's going to be a ban on that too. You know? <laughs> uh, F, F, I don't want F, any fruity flies in my no, kitchen. FF1046, you know? Vote yes. <laughs> we are unhinged. But maybe maybe now, you know, the right might do something about climate change because they're if it's turning the fruit flies gay, maybe it's going to turn the kids gay, and now we can solve air pollution. Hello, may, uh, if that's what it takes, if that's there might what be it a takes. silver lining here. So basically, <laughs> I'm going to paraphrase right because we're going to be here for eight hours, if not. But um, basically, the uh, fruit flies uh, mate with each other based on pheromones, much like humans and everything else. But it's um, the odor is really strong to them, and what the air pollution does. Is is mask that or like take that away. Mm. And so they're just, they're just fucking a fuck. <laughs> good for, again, good for her. Good for them. Good for them. <laughs> Love who you want. <laughs> okay. You know, Pride. We're, we're here, we're here for gay fruit flies, but we're not here for, for climate change and pollution. And I, no. and with that, I think that's the best way to end. Food. <laughs> news update <laughs> that was so much fun <laughs> was it last week the week before i thought it was going to be fun and we kept falling down this serious hole and my guest hannah was like i thought this was supposed to be the fun part <laughs> <laughs> oh my god take that back to bon appetit with you okay gay fruit flies gay fruit flies <laughs> I don't know. Speaking of gay fruit flies, um, what is next for you in this world? Oh, big, big, big question. Um, currently, I'm really passionate about exploring the intersection of food and cannabis. It's okay. something that I think is really going to kind of blow the world open in terms of how we think about plant-based medicines, how we think about what is medicine and what is not medicine. And also just there are so many justice issues, similarly to food and what drew me to food. There's so many justice issues and social issues and cultural issues that are tied to cannabis, to the plant and to all of the legislation that's been put around it in, you know, recent history and modern history as we go back. And I think that there's a really exciting kind of nexus happening and a really exciting connection between those two that can really move in so many different ways. Yeah. I've owned, I just looked up, you you may have seen me. I have owned this cookbook called the 420 Gourmet, the elevated Mm. art of cannabis cuisine by Jeff, Jeff, Jeff the four, not Jeff the 420 chef. I know. Jeff the 420 (laughs) chef. Mm -hmm. Do you know this person? I I follow his Instagram. He's been someone who's really been doing that kind of culinary for, cannabis advocacy work for a while. A now. long time. I've owned for this. A long time. This, this was a gift, and I don't even 
back in the day before it was legal here in New York City, I may or may not have dabbled in making my own edibles. Um, but that was that's a long process that oh God bless you if if this is the journey that you're on. But like someone just bought this book for me because they thought it was fun. I've never I've certainly flipped through it. Right. But I've never mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a we a cannabis lightweight here. Right. <laughs> like even since it's been legal and I love it. But like I do with the microdosing, I have to do half of the half and mm-hmm. I'm and I'm good. You know, like I don't know what it is about my body composition is that it's just it really takes to it or absorbs it well. Yeah. So it's probably yeah. just your, your system. So we all have this endocannabinoid system in our bodies in the same way we have a nervous system, we have a respiratory system, yeah. we have a digestive system. It is this system that is specifically designed to absorb all of the medicinal properties of cannabis, these cannabinoids. Um, and so it's possible that your ECS, your endocannabinoid system, has a lot of receptors throughout your body. So you only need a little bit of CBD or a little bit of THC to really get you going. Whereas there are people who eat edibles and they're like, they do absolutely nothing for yep. me. And maybe that's because their digestive system and the endocannabinoid receptors are, you know, not as activated as somebody else's. It really varies from person to person. Endocannabinoid. Yes. yes. Right? Word of the day. I, lo- <laughs> I love it. I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated. You're going to have to come back and we have to, ha- we're going to have to do a whole like cannabis, cannabis we cooking absolutely can. episode and you're going to have to There's educate so us. to it. There is so much to it. And like you said, like the process of making edibles from scratch, like with flour is very long and arduous and can be really smelly and sticky. Yeah, you get that street weed and then you put it in the, I never did the crock pot method. I did the stove method. Crockpot method is fun. It keeps yeah, the but then kind of. I bay. live in 120 square feet in Times Square, right? The entire, I left that thing on the stove all day. I was in and out. By the end of the day, I could smell it from like the elevators, which are <laughs> at least 200 feet away from my door, at least, oh if goodness. not more. And that's so common. But as, you know, the industry expands, there are some incredible technologies coming out. Like there are specific machines that exist. There's one, and this is like hashtag not an ad, Um, but there's a machine called Ardent, the Ardent FX. And it's an infuser that you can um, decarboxylate is the other word, aka activate your cannabis, which is what you have to do when you kind of like roast it for a little bit. So that pure cannabis doesn't have the active THC. You have to kind of heat it up first. So it does that. It infuses any oil or butter that you want. And you can kind of bake treats in the machine as well. So the smell is completely, they call it like the adult easy bake. And it's so cool. And it's a black woman owned brand. So, I mean, I stand stand. on that front. And And not the adult easy bake. The adult easy bake. You can do do it all in that three-in-one system. Do you know that I was on a Netflix show called Easy Bake Battle? I have to go watch that now yes. because I was the easy bake oven queen as a kid. I was like, nobody tell me anything. I'm going to make my little brownies. You're going to be mad. There are no easy bake ovens, but um, <sighs> it's it's based on it somehow. I would watch a show where it is like professional chefs and like pastry chefs and they have to create meals in an easy bake oven. It's hard. I think they did that I've on Cutthroat Kitchen actually. It's hard. I've done it. There's the reels are on my Instagram. It takes that darn machine 20 minutes to warm up because, because it's a light bulb. But the thing is, and what I've learned about uh, and this wonderful Hasbro 
um, thing. And this is a full sponsored ad, not sponsored, right? Because I'm I'm an Easy Bake Oven stan because I've I've used it. A, I've forced myself to use it a bunch in preparation for this show and then afterwards to create these meals to promote. But the trick is, is that after every, you have to have a fresh light bulb, mm. a fresh light bulb every time. Oh. That's the trick because it, the wattage, it takes so much wattage out of it, right? Cause it, like the light bulb is working hard that mm. if you, if you do it, turn it off and then like come back a week later to make something else. It's not as fast. Mm-hmm. So if I were doing an actual battle that only consisted of easy bake ovens, I would have, to, that would be my trick, right? I'd have to build in time to Sweet get fresh ball. light bulbs across the board. Wow. Or fresh like, easy bake ovens. How economical is that? Fresh ovens and fresh well, oven every time. Yes. Well, it's uh, it can be economical as long as you just um, use that light bulb elsewhere because the light bulb isn't burnt out. <clears throat> That's true. Yeah. Right. We went from cannabis to easy bake ovens and light bulbs. <laughs> and that is how it goes. <laughs> I mean, amazing. Oh my God, what a special day and what a special episode. I love that you have given me of your time today out of your busy schedule. I can't thank you enough, Chala. This has been so special and I'm happy to call you part of my big gay food family village, my housewife, my real housewives of, of food. <laughs> If I'm claiming the Andy Cohen of food here. Um, thank you, <laughs> yes. thank you, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute joy and a pleasure. And just like I get to, I love getting to talk about anything food and anything queer. So truly, yeah. this has been a pleasure. And we don't often get to commune like this. This is the other reason I why I did this. You know, like this discussion, like, yeah, we have discussions about food. I mean, you work for freaking Bon Appetit for crying out loud, right? But how often are we are we discussing like the intersections or how often are we like communing in this way? Like, yes. Having an actual dialogue, uh, the dialogue under this umbrella, under this queer umbrella, you know? Yes. And, and sharing that experience and finding, and finding my favorite part, finding the cross sections of where we meet on this journey. Yes. Absolutely. So how special give the kids all the handles, all the things where they can find you. Yes, I am predominantly on Instagram at chala.gram. That is C-H-A-L-A dot G-R-A-M. I also have a food and cannabis Instagram that is at the dot culinary dot syph, C-Y-P-H. Oh, yes. Love that. And I'll link those. We're branding. (laughs) Yeah. Hello. We got to. That's why we're here. Um, And I'll link those out in the liner notes. Speaking of branding, I forgot because I do use some of these videos for um, promotion purposes. Shout out to Dr. Carlton, the Internet's beloved gay butt doctor. Right. He sent me some merch a while ago and I just found this one shirt that says here for the butt stuff. Uh, You know, been on the community side, giving the community all the all the health information that they need um, and it's factual and he's a Mayo Clinic doctor and he's here for the community. And so shout out to him on this day as well. Other than that, big shout out to you, Chala. I hope you come back. Now you have to come back because we have to do... I have to because we have to talk cannabis more. Yes. Oh my God. Like, hello. Um, 
but now that we've gotten like the root, the meat out of the way, we can we can do that too. Um, I'm excited to have you back on. So shout out to you. In your mouth, listeners, stay safe out there. Hopefully, if you're on the East Coast, uh, spring hath sprungeth or spring will be sprungething very soon for us. Um, If you're in New York, you know, uh, you know, Mother Nature is just going to do what she do. And, uh, and we love her for it. And um, as always, I love you out there. And thank you for listening to In Yo